I have some things about me that can be challenging to relate to at times. When I was younger, I actually, I still have to deal with anger, but when I was younger, I had somewhat of a violent temper. And an illustration of that fact is the very first time I was up to the plate in the Little League, I we didn't have any fences, but I hit the ball far enough where I, I made it all the way around. I hit a home run. And I slid across the home plate, and it was very obvious to me that I had done that, but I saw, it's, it's weird how you can, I can still see this happening in my mind, but out of the corner of my mind, I saw the other coach saying, tag him, tag him, because he wanted to make it look like I didn't slide across the plate. So the catcher tagged me with the ball, and the umpire called me out. At that moment, I went ballistic. I, I started yelling, crying, screaming. I ran to the dugout. I grabbed helmets and bats and started throwing them. This went on for several minutes. The commissioner of the league had to come over and calm me down because I, I was inconsolable. I wanted a home run. That's what was I thought was just. And so that guy called me out. Actually, he'd been trying to date my sister, and I told him, my sister will never date you. The Empire. He was a young guy, younger guy. My sister's 12 years older than I am, but I was thinking of everything I could do to get him to change his mind. He wasn't budging. He was not moving. So when I got to college, I was a behavioral science major, and the, the wisdom of the day was that you needed to vent. You know, if you didn't vent, then you repress your anger and you really have some serious psychological problems. So that made a lot of sense to me. To vent. I thought, this is great, you know, it's justification for just letting it fly, open the floodgates and venting, open up the vent and let it go. That makes a lot of sense. As I've gotten into scripture, I found out that that is a very, very foolish thing to do. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to their anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So I realized as I read that verse, that, that verse spoke to me in, in college for the very first time, and I thought, you know what? I know what the teachers are saying, but here's what Scripture says. And I began to change. I identified a foolish pattern in me that needed to change. It began to shift at that point. So as I studied in, in psychology this need to vent, there are a couple ways you do that, venting anger or just gushing, whatever's on your heart to help you make, make you feel better. The more I got into scripture, the more I realized, wow, that, that's really not helpful. If you look on, if you look at the tension you create and the swirl around yourself when you say these things, wow, it's, it's not really very helpful. And so I began to shift. He, Ecclesiastes 6.11 is, is a passage that also spoke to me, the more the words, the less the meaning, and how can that profit anyone? You know, there's this tendency, I, I, I want to just talk about what I want to talk about. And I just want to wax eloquently on it. But I, I'm trying to control my tongue because I realize it's wise. Even a fool is thought to be wise when they are silent. And so I'm trying to change. And, and the, here's the thing about changing. Uh, James, 
James talks about your tongue. If you're trying to work on your tongue, James talks about it. It says it cannot be tamed. It's untamable. And so you can make progress, but you have to realize, you know, God's in control and he loves me just like I am, but he wants to help me get past these foolish tendencies. I'm going to struggle with them, but he wants to help me get past them. And that's what God does. He wants to help us identify these foolish things in us, these foolish tendencies, so we can trade those in. God wants to help us trade folly for wisdom. That's what he's about. As If you commit your life to follow Christ, what he's going to want to do is he is going to want to help you begin to trade folly for wisdom in the way that you live your life. One of the ways that he's done that with me is he's trying to help me control my tongue so that I can bless people with it. So that as I speak, it's a real blessing. It doesn't fill the air with this contamination that people don't want to breathe, that chokes relationships and causes problems. This is what God does through the Word. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In my simple state as a child, I thought anger could, could help me accomplish my goal. It could help me get my way, but now I'm learning there is, there is a way that I need to live before God that allows Him to work, I have to choose faith. I've, cho- I've chosen a life of faith to trust Him, to do what He says and commit my way to Him and let Him accomplish my goals. I really wish I would have had a home run my very first time at bat. But you know what? I didn't need that. I, life has moved on without it. It doesn't really matter at this stage. But God's Word acts like a mirror that shows us where we need to change. You know, you look in a mirror and you say, oh, I've really got to straighten that. I don't, I don't really have to worry about it a whole lot. Or I see, you know, a smudge on my face. Wow, I've got to deal with that. Um, God's Word acts like that kind of mirror where you see yourself in it, and then you, you are motivated. God wants you to be motivated to change, and He wants to give you what you need to shift and make the changes that He wants to make in you, because as you make those changes, you find His blessing. So what we're doing in this in this series of messages is we're, we're digging into some passages in the Old Testament and we're looking at some passages in the New Testament, both halves of the Bible. The Old Testament's the first part. It's New, Test- New Testament's the second part. But we're digging in, especially we're digging into the Hebrew of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And if you dig into the Hebrew word for fool, you can, you, there are nine different words and you can come up with five of those words, you can put together a profile with characteristics, foolish strategies, and tendencies that will act as a mirror that you can begin to see some things in. Hopefully, that's what we're hoping. We're we're hoping that the Lord shows us some of these strategies that we may be living out in order that we can turn to Him and trade in our foolishness for wisdom. Today, we're looking at two common fools. The two most common fools that are out there, I believe, are are these first two. The easy way and the reactive way. Fools in the Bible make poor judgments. This is what the word means. I mean, we tend to think foolishness may have to do with silliness or 
it might have to do with a mental deficiency. But in the scripture, this is what it means to be a fool. It means that you make poor judgments. You don't make good decisions. You leave God out of your decisions. There's a moral deficiency, not just a mental deficiency. You could be the smartest person around, but you can make a foolish choice if you leave God out of the picture. And that's that's what happens. Fools design strategies for getting what they want in life that leaves God out of the process. They're not thinking about him. They just see what they want, and they're trying to figure out how to accomplish what they want. This turns out to be a very bad idea because God is the one running the universe. And so it's important to understand how life really works from his perspective. So this week and next week, we're going to look at five different fools. As I said, the profile comes out of study of the Old Testament. And what happens is, out of the folly in our heart that we talked about last week, we choose one or maybe two of these five strategies to get what we want. And and as we choose these strategies, we end up frustrated. They actually undermine our happiness. We we choose these because we want what we want because we think that's going to make us happy, which is our goal. That's I mean, we want to be happy in life. But these strategies frustrate and undermine our happiness. The outcome isn't what we hoped for. It's not what we were thinking. So today we're looking at these two common fools, the two most common. The first one is the easy way. In Hebrew, the word is kasil. This tends to be a guy struggle, but it's not always a guy struggle. It tends to be men tend to struggle with this more. Um, that's why in the station that we're using as an illustration of these things, Jason was a guy. Jason is the Casio fool in that in that episode. The attitude of a Casio, the easy way fool, is that they are confident and they are hopeful, very hopeful, but they're hopeful in the wrong things. Their characteristics are they have a lazy streak, they have big ideas, they make grand plans but they never work out a step-by-step plan for accomplishing their plans. They just got the big the big plans. They just sound really good. They expect to find a magic key. If they have marriage problems, they find a book. This is the answer, this book. I'm going to read this book and I'm going to try to have a better marriage. It's going to help me have a better marriage. But the problem is, they read it, they set it aside, they never think through, okay, how am I actually going to do this? How am I going to relate to my wife differently? Or if you're the wife, how are you going to relate to your husband differently? In finances, the infomercials that are showing all of the people who are making really good money part-time, 20 hours a week from their home, those have a real pull. Because this, this guy or gal, they're thinking, wow, I'd really like to make good money from my home in only 20 hours a week. Look at all the time I'd have just to kick around. I want that. That's very, very attractive to them. The new job, if they're grinding in their, their job currently, that new job is going to bring it all together. It's the magic key. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make things happen. The key tool that a casino uses to to, to make it in life, to, to actually pull off this strategy, is lying. 
Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the sensible, or the wise, is to understand his way. That means they give thought to, to their way. They actually think about, how am I going to get from here to here? And what are the steps? What do I need to be doing now to get there? It's prud- They're prudent. But the foolishness of fools, this is that word kaseel in the Hebrew, the foolishness of fools is deceit. So here's how it happens. If something's broke around the house, the wife asks, why didn't you fix it? And what, you know, what, what's going on? They lie to cover it up. Well, you know, I just, this came up and this happened. I just couldn't get to it. At, at work, working on a project, hey, w- what's going on? Why, don't, why didn't you come through with it? They lie to cover themselves. So they use lying to pull off their strategy of skating by and they try to stay under the, the radar with this. Here's a video clip from the station where we pulled out the scenes that illustrate the characteristics of the easy way fool. Okay, everybody, stop what you're doing. Anything you've got scheduled today, it's got to be pushed. Yes! Why? Jason represents the easy way fool. Two-word description of the easy way would be a lazy liar. You can see the key characteristics of this strategy in the character Jason. He has a lazy streak, big ideas. He's looking for shortcuts and a magic key to make all of life come together. In Jason's case, the magic key would be the money he would get from winning the lottery that he's put his hope in. Every week, I march into 7-Eleven and buy one of these babies. So I can win. For me. Numero uno. Jason, the Casile fool, is confident and hopeful, but in the wrong things. You catch him lying at several points in the segment to cover his lazy and unrealistic approach to work. Jason! There should be no reason you throw it at me. Jason! Yes? Do you have the write-up on that basketball player from Marshall High? Yeah, I emailed it to you. Three points. But it had a big attachment, so you might have not got it yet. No, it was no, it was just text. Jason, you're such a liar. And you're such a not in this conversation, so why don't you go win another award or something, Candace? He has such a grand and fantastic plan for the project that he doesn't meet the deadline and makes very little progress toward the goal. He wasn't realistic in thinking through what he could do by five PM. Jason, why don't we begin with you? Oh, I'm gonna need an extension, Ted. Which is a little one. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I've got some displays coming in, posters, uh, fabrics, things that are going to make my my presentation way better than anybody's mm-hmm. in here. But, um, you know, I just didn't want to do the job halfway, so. You didn't want to do the job halfway. And so you didn't do it at all. That, some, that's, that's what it sounds like. But, no, I've got stuff ordered, and they'll be here later no, no, in the no, week. The deadline was 5 p.m. today. You failed. You're Ted, that's kind of harsh, don't you think? No, it isn't. Jason is also very sure that his mascot idea was the best. These folks tend to overestimate their abilities. I've got the best idea for a mascot, and now the office is going to have to settle for somebody else's. So, who's the loser there? I did not win the lottery today. I just checked online. However, I do have $3 in my wallet, and the jackpot's even bigger next week. Pretty hopeful, isn't he? (laughs) Three bucks in his wallet. He can buy another ticket. 
Notice the anger that came out. These guys get angry when their folly is revealed, when their foolishness starts to get revealed. They get angry. You know, just just shut up, Candace. What are you talking about? Their approach to life, here, here are some characteristics of their approach to life. First of all, they follow very, very reluctantly. It can't be that hard. If they're given direction, it just can't be that hard. There's got to be an easier way. So while the guy's, you know, talking about the, what needs to happen, why we need to do it, how we need to go about this, this guy's thinking, I don't need to pay attention because I'll figure out a better way. Why do that? They're a lazy complainer. They organize their work and family unrealistically. They haven't really given it much thought. They're not quite sure how they're going to pull that off. They evade work by general plans. In other words, they tend to live and think in vague generalities because that means I don't really have to do much. I can just think about this and not have to actually get it done. They resist instruction and they don't imply it. They are sure they can figure out a better way. Slow to change. They're very slow to change. Change threatens their comfort zone. <laughs> I, I don't really want to change. That might be work. I just, I just want to, I want something to change me. I got to find the magic key that changes me. They overestimate their abilities. You heard Jason do that. Sloppy. They're sloppy and erratic in their work and they talk excessively because talk replaces work. The application to life, in other words, how, how this shows up, the problems this causes in our lives is that, first of all, Authority, the boss, the team leader, the group leader, whatever, they are frustrated because the, this person isn't focused on the goal, but they're focused on doing things with the least effort. So rather than a can-do, okay, whatever it takes attitude, they're just trying to get by. They're just trying to do the minimum amount possible and still be liked or a part of the team or a part of the group. So it's very, very frustrating when these people are un underneath you. They resist training because they don't want to change. So they become an anchor to the group. As you're trying to work toward a goal, they become a real anchor that you've got to drag along. And boy, oh boy, it is a real problem for the people over them. <clears throat> they continually disappoint those close to them because they don't come through with what they've committed to do or what they've been asked to do or what they were told to do. Or what they promised with their big talk. Hey, don't, don't worry, we'll pull this off, it's going to be great. If you get your hopes up, they can come crashing down if you're relying on the easy way fool to come through. People learn not to count on them. And it really causes a deep level of frustration in relationships. <clears throat> if you think that you deal with this kind of strategy, that this is one of your native strategies... These first two strategies come out of the folly of Veleth. We talked about it last week. I want my way. These are very common. Uh, we're, we're born with this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, Scripture says. And this is one of the ways that it comes out. If you think you're struggling with this strategy, then here are a couple of key ways, key things that you need to do to change. First one, ask God to help you clue in to consequences. Ask him to show you what's going on, how, how your folly is impacting yourself. That's the way we learn. We get knots on our head. We need to start paying attention to the consequences of our folly. 
Proverbs 19.3 says, The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. In other words, men and women tend to choose folly or foolishness and they, they don't make the progress that they want to make in life and they get angry at God. God, why aren't you coming through? Why aren't you doing what I asked you to do? What's going on here? You know, I've done blah, blah, blah. I've done this. You need to come through. And the real problem is their foolishness. So ask God to help you clue into the consequences of your strategy here. Rather than get angry that your life isn't coming together, that God's not giving you a magic key to bring life together, ask God to help you see the frustration that you're creating in others and give you a heart to make progress steadily. Then the second thing is to trust God and work hard. A good verse to memorize if you're struggling with this strategy is Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. We need to have faith in God, not a magic key. See, what happens is as, as you come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you have a relationship with God because of His grace. Because He loves you with an unfailing love and He's willing to forgive the sin in your past. But you have that relationship. If you've committed your life to follow Him as boss, you have a relationship with Him. You can be secure in that. You don't have to worry about whether or not you have a relationship with God or whether He's going to turn His back on you or whether... He's going to break off of the relationship or just get tired and just say, you're, I'm done with you, you're, you're blowing it. But what he does is, as a good father, he takes our lives and through the things that we're going through and the things that we're living, he wants to train us. He wants to train the foolishness out of us. And so as we identify the consequences of our foolish behavior, we need to turn to him and trust him and then work hard. That's what this passage is talking about. Don't be lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You take in this life, you take the promises of God, you take the principles of God and the teaching of, that he gives us in his scriptures, and you begin to try to live those out. You have to look at them, you have to figure, you have to put it in your schedule. How am I going to do this, God? How am I going to get to know you? I'm going to take this time to get to know you. I'm going to get into the Word. And then I'm going to try to live it out. So if you're trying to get over this strategy, if you're trying to alter it, then you need to have faith in God, not a magic key. Work hard. And as you work hard, trust Him to honor your hard work. That's the way life is put together. Many, many times you're in the middle of grinding it out. you are just got to do what you got to do. You're not particularly inspired to do what needs to be done, but you do it trusting God to honor it, the hard work that you're putting in. The second fool we're looking at today is the reactive way fool. Evil is the word in Hebrew for the reactive way. This tends to be a struggle for women, but it's not always the case. I know some, some men who struggle with this strategy. 
the attitude of the reactive way fool is they are stubborn and determined. They are going to get their way. Whatever it takes, they're going to get their way. Characteristics of this fool are they're rebellious and adversarial. If they need you to do something to help them accomplish their wishes or what they want and you hesitate, whoa, that was a mistake because they are coming at you. They're very, very adversarial if you just don't dive right in to their plans. They're controlling and manipulative. Once they decide something should be done a certain way, they are relentless. The key tool that they use to accomplish their strategy is they're upset easily. So upset is one of their key tools. Proverbs 12.16 says, A fool and a veal shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an, an insult. So this fool, in other words, if you hesitate, they don't like what you're going to do. Boy, they get annoyed and they're trying to, through their angry reaction, their adversarial approach, they're trying to box you in to make you do what they think you should do. People tend not to tell these people things because they just might blow. And so why bother getting in a conversation with them about this? Because I don't know. <laughs> they're going to show their annoyance. Oh, boy. Try to keep them out of the decision-making loop. Because once they decide what needs to happen, they are relentless. They're going to make you miserable until you do it the way they think it should be done. If you don't comply, they pour on more pressure. Here's a video clip. Rebecca is the easy way fool. And she's, she's pregnant, so maybe the hormones made her a little less adversarial. <laughs> but here, you can see this come out in, in this clip of her. Hey, Rebecca. You didn't see my drawing, did you? No. You'll notice that Rebecca has people at the station hopping to keep her happy. This is one of the major strategies of the reactive way fool. This fool is stubborn and determined to get what they want. I'm the baby of the family. And I've always gotten my way. They were rebellious, adversarial, controlling, and manipulative. Rebecca. Yes? I can try and bring you some coffee tomorrow. From where? Uh, Jenny's Coffee. No, thanks. I can't even think with this headache. What do you need? Decaf, grande, caramel macchiato. Brett, get her that drink after this meeting. The key tool that the Avil uses to get their way is to be easily upset. You can see this in the emotional shenanigans that Rebecca pulls to get what she wants. Why? Well, because... Because you think I'm fat? Well, I was thinking of, of a wispy cloud or something like that. Oh, what? Never mind. This kind of fool will decide what others should do, quickly snap at others in anger. You can see Rebecca morph from whiny to belligerent when Brett doesn't understand the kind of jamba juice that she wants. We can't have you. What do you mean? A jamba juice. 
Jamba Juice. Yeah, sure. What kind? Razzmatazz. What? Razzmatazz. And they could be unforgiving. Rebecca is keeping track of her ideas that are shot down. Over time, these characters are avoided by others because it is such a pain to relate to them. I think there have been one or two ideas that haven't been shot down in the past year. My most recent rejection was foot massage day. And taking its place as most recent, an office lottery pool. Oh, I said extra caramel. Does that look like extra caramel to you? A lot of fun to hang out with her, isn't it? <laughs> Their approach to life, the Avil, they follow reluctantly, just like the Casile, for different reasons. Um, they choose goals for the authority over them. They ignore boundaries this way. There are right boundaries, and they ignore it. They talk while the leader instructs or speaks. They're the ones kind of talking, trying to figure out what they're, you know, they're, they're pushing their agenda, maybe talking to somebody about it while, while somebody's up front giving direction or talking about what needs to happen. They really resist instruction strongly. They're unforgiving. Rebecca in the clip is keeping a list of all of her ideas that have been shot down. She's got her list. She will bring it out if she needs to. They decide what others ought to do. She decides Greg needs to carry her her briefcase to the car. Should and ought are very big words in their vocabulary. They're quick to anger. They have frequent arguments with people. And they're avoided by others because they're so easily upset. People dance around like eggshells or they just check out. I'm just tired of hanging out with them. They are no fun. The way this affects life, the application of life, the way it, it, it impacts life in terms of moving toward a goal, they are a real pain for the leader. One of our hard attitudes here is follow scriptural limits, uh, leadership within scriptural limits. And Hebrews 13, 17 says we need to make it a joy, not a burden, not an extra weight. This, this avail, this foolish strategy drives leaders batty. Proverbs 27.3 says, Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool is heavier than both. That's this kind of fool. Oh, that just gets old. Resentment builds from peers and others around them because they keep telling them what to do and how to do it when it's not their place. And you have to watch it because if you're parenting your kids... The goal is for your children to move from a dependence on you to an interdependence on God as they get older. And you can just stay in this mode of continually telling them what they ought to do rather than training them to stand on their own two feet as adults before God. So it's very, very important not to get in this mode and push. This friction causes many, many problems in relationships that keep us from the goal. It, it it is a real sidetrack. There's a lot of sideways energy that's created in this. It's difficult to work with them on a team. In fact, working with this kind of fool on a team is sort of like riding a bike with a warped tire. Or a warped wheel, I mean. Have you ever done that? Oh, it's a real pain. Progress is not easy. And it hurts. 
Actually, it's very, very painful and uncomfortable if you try to get very far. If you think this might be your problem, here are a couple ideas for changing. First of all, again, ask God to help you see the consequences of your foolishness. Proverbs 9.12 says, If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Especially ask God to help you feel the tension you're creating and see the resentment that is building between you and others. Ask him to begin to show you this. Begin to look for it. It's very hard if you're always setting the agenda. You always know what other people ought to do. It's hard to get sensitive, to become self-aware, and to realize how your strategy is affecting the people around you and blocking the goal because you're so set on what you think the goal ought to be, and you're pretty confident that you're right, and so... It's hard to see it. Ask God to show you what's going on. Secondly, focus on on what God wants me to do, not what others ought to do. God, would you show me in this situation what you want me to do? Help me to see the boundaries here. Help me to see exactly what's right and what I should be doing. And help me to trust you to come through in the way that only you can. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight or your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't bust through the boundaries of authority that God's put in place. Don't break through boundaries between you and other people. Don't decide what they ought to do. Let God be God. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust him. Fear the Lord. Take him seriously and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This this strategy particularly sets you up for physical problems. It can be hard on your health to be so adversarial. The tension that's created affects your health in a serious way. So if you trust God, you take your hands off the things that God hasn't put you in charge of, and you trust him with them, There could be some real healing there. One man said, life is so much better since I resigned as the ruler of the universe. And it really is. You can let go. God can be in charge. Let him be the ruler of the the universe. Refuse to set the agenda for those who aren't under your authority. And relate to those under your authority in the right way. Give them the freedom to choose the right thing, rather than always hounding them. The key to change is to trust God to do what he says and to watch him come through and give his blessing. In both of these strategies, in fact, all five of them, God wants to help us alter our strategy. He wants to help us change. And if we'll turn from going our own foolish way to commit to following him, he will give us a new heart. We looked at this verse last week. Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And see, God not only shows us what is right and wise in Scripture. He not only says, if you'll follow my ways, my principles, I'll make the simple wise he gives us. If we'll commit our life to follow him as boss and Lord, he 
gives us his spirit to help us do these things. And if you've come to know him, you've seen the help that he gives. You've experienced his spirit moving you in the right direction. I have many, many times. I recognize, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I recognize that I need to change. And I don't necessarily want to change. But God gives me the motivation to change through the spirit he's put inside of me. And I am so grateful for the help he gives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. The truth, really, that sets us free from the bondage of our old ways.